I'm Pastor Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time watching us, we'd love to hear from you. Just leave a comment or a like, and let us know that you're watching. And also, if you need anything, you can always visit us at lifechurchutah.com, and we'd love to be able to pray with you about anything. If you'd like to participate in giving today, you can do so by texting the word LCGIVE to the number on the screen. Once again, thank you for watching Church Online here at Life Church Utah. God bless. I've been a part of uh, this church and as far as missions, working together, and our heart and what God has called us to do is to reach into families that are hurting one way or another here in the state of Utah. Our goal is to see what we can do to partner with pastors and also schools and any kind of government entities that are working together to reach the community. We have, uh, for 10 years, targeted one particular area in the area of Glendale. We were there 10 years, and the last eight years, we've been going abroad from pretty much Brigham City all the way to Provo and partnering cross-denominationally, different churches to see what we can do to work together and see how we can help them. Our, our focus to a pastor would say, let us help you build a dream center, and you can call it whatever you want. And so we have uh, hope centers, victory centers, life centers, and just whatever God has put it in their heart. See, we're not to try to cookie-cutter an idea of how to reach the people, but really hear the heart of the church and the pastor and say, what is it that God has called you to do? And then at that point, see what we can do to empower that. You see, we call it synergy in action. For 18 years, we've been running the Dream Center, but for 28 years, my wife and I have been running what we call synergy in action. That's the ability to work together. The word synergy means to come together. But we had to add that inaction part because, you know, many times people literally will come together and then nothing happens. And so the idea is like, if we're going to get together, something's got to happen. Okay, we got to do something. Many times the community, the pillars of our community, the leaders, they all try to see what they can do to reach that particular neighborhood and so on. How can they pull it together? But what happens many times is that the church usually is not invited to come to that circle. There's businesses, there's schools, there's polit politicians and so on. But many times the church isn't invited to that circle to see what they can do to help. We know we have something that we can offer. But we're not invited many times because of the idea that they would say, well, we don't want the church involved because they're going to get on their religious rhetoric and so on and their convictions, and we don't want that. At the same time, the church wants to do something, and many times we don't involve the community because we don't want them to tell us what we can't say. And so we have this great divide. So Synergy in Action is really where faith-based and non-faith-based can work together for the betterment of the community, the family, and the child. How can we work together, understanding our boundaries, seeing how we can come in and make a difference? We know that we have something to offer. We know that we could be a big part of changing the community, the atmosphere of a community. So we came up with a really good idea. We know how to make this work. Why don't we throw the party and invite everybody else to come join our party, we show them that we're the greatest um, depositors into this outreach, whatever we're going to do, so they don't think we're just inviting them for their money, but they see that we're the biggest investor. You see, they can't kick you out of your own party. And so when you have this great success, because in God, all things are going to turn out great, you have this great success of an event or a, whatever situation, I guarantee you those leaders are going to look to you and they're like, Wow, we want to continually work with you, be a part of what you're doing, because you're allowing us to be a part of this grand thing. God is moving in great ways. And I just want to say thank you as a church, because you have continued through the years to do what you can to reach out to the community here. Through the years and having the community center. Now the rename what was West Valley Community Center 
I love it, the Life Community Center, that you guys are saying, hey, we have a heart and we want to do something to let those people know that we're here for them. I do want to say a special thank you. You see, 21 years ago, we came to you, my wife and I, with a need. And it was a big need because we were youth pastors down the road, and we let everybody know that we have this huge challenge ahead of us, and that was that our second boy, Isaiah, was hit with a brain tumor. He was four years old, and uh, we just threw the word out. We needed prayer. They told us it was a neuroblastoma grade four, and that clearly he is, he's going to probably not make it. It was emergency surgery right on the spot. And I, I'm sharing this story because I believe many of you were here at that time, and you remember, you know, 21 years ago of praying for us. And I just want to thank you and say, God bless you, because you see, God helped my son and healed my son. Now, it was a battle. We did have to go through chemo and radiation, and we had to go through a lot of stuff, the surgeries. But when he was uh, 12 years old, the radiation stunted his growth so much that he didn't even grow a quarter inch for six years. But he was alive. He had scars all over. He had a lot of effects because of all the treatment. It seemed like the treatment hurt him more than the cancer itself. They said he can be now involved in... He can be involved in activities and sports. He wanted so bad to be in sports because his older brother, my son Joshua, he was eight years athletics and soccer. He was a, just a great soccer player, but Isaiah always had to watch from the window or he had to watch from the sidelines. We tried to get him involved, but he couldn't because they said he can't have any hit to his head. And through the years, you guys have helped me pray for him. Well, when he was 12 years old, they said... He can now be involved in activities. He can do things. But don't get him involved in anything contact sport. You know, I'm a big football fan, and as you can tell, Raider fan. Anyways, by the, that's a side note. You know, and so with that, football was huge. But he can't play football, can't play baseball, basketball, can't play soccer. And we were just naming all the things he couldn't do. So we were trying to list the things that he could do. He was weaker on his left side. You see, the tumor was on the right side, and it affected the left side of his function. And he was getting weaker and weaker. If we didn't do anything, his hand would literally curl this way, and his foot would curve in, and we had to do something. They said he needs everyday physical therapy. So we tried different things, and we realized nothing's working until we came across golf. I didn't even know how to spell golf. G-U-L-F. You know, I mean, I didn't know anything about golf. My father-in-law... And my father-in-law, who's here, thanks, Dad, for showing up, Mom, for being here. Uh, my father-in-law and all my in-laws were golfers, but I never golfed. And I just thought, how are we going to do this? And so I remember we got him a little set there, and we said, okay, let's try this. Because if you know anything about golf, you realize that um, if you're right-handed, the glove goes on the left hand because that's a controlling one, and you've got to know how to do it. I said, that would be great for his left side to be able to control and make that movement every day. And so we were trying to work with them. Well, my sister-in-law, Debbie, she worked for Mutual of Omaha at the time. And she says, hey, our company is putting on this golf event at Thanksgiving Point. And it'd be great for the kids to come. You should bring them. And I'm like, well, okay, sounds like fun. And so I, we loaded the kids, and it was like taking them to the park or something. We had no clue what we were getting into. And as we drove into the parking lot there, it was a driving, chipping, and putting contest for kids. And we thought this would be fun for the kids, you know, let them go out and have fun. But we showed up, and as soon as we get into the parking lot, we realized, oh, great, we're underdressed. <laughs> you know, everyone here looks like golf pros. And these are all little kids. Our kids are in cut-off shorts, tank tops, and flip-flops, you know. And, they're, and they, we had no clue what was going on. And so we showed up, and, I, and immediately, 
I said, we're not doing this. And my son right behind me goes, but you promised. I'm like, oh, but you promised. Oh, man. And so I said, okay. All right, let's do this. So Anna took the three this way. I took Isaiah, and we found his age group. And we looked, and his age group at that time had to be in the driving area. So we take him out there. Isaiah goes up to the guy with the clipboard, and he pulls on his shirt. The guy's looking like this. Oh, hey, how you doing? And he goes, I'm in your group. He goes, no, son, I think you belong over there somewhere with the other. No, no, I'm in your group. And so I run up to the guy. I said, oh, cancer. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I said, I go, Isaiah, he goes, son, you're going to be next behind this young man. And so he's all happy, walking over with his club. And he stands behind the guy who's ready to swing. And I'm looking at it, and I look at my son, and my son's like, you know, hey, daddy. And he's, I go, I'm like, get back there. You know, and so he's back there, and he's just waiting and looking. The guy, now I'm on this side, I'm looking, and the guy that comes up, 12-year-old, looks 18. I mean, he looks like he's a pro. He comes up and takes some practice swings, and I'm just, you know, this guy looks good. He comes up, hits that ball, and just my mouth drops again, and like, whoa. And then Isaiah, Isaiah Murillo, and he's like, eh, that's me. You know, he comes up. I never showed him how to hold the club. You know, so he grabs it like a hockey stick, you know, and he... You see, in tennis, it's okay when you're ready to return the ball for you to scream. You know what I'm talking about? You know, huh, huh, but not in golf. You're not supposed to scream in golf. And my son comes back. He's gunning out there. Well, before he got the ball, see, the pro way to get a golf ball on the tee is you put the ball in your hand, tee between your fingers, and you push down and use the weight of your arm to get it in there. That's a good way to do it. My son didn't know that. He goes up with that tee and he gets the ball. He hammers that in there. He puts the ball there. He looks at me, and I'm like, you know, I'm looking at him. He comes back. He grabs that like a hockey stick, and he goes back, and he closes his eyes. You're not supposed to take your eye off the ball. And he, takes, he closes his eyes, and he comes up like this, and he does this ah, karate chop. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, just like, oh, man. And he hits that ball. Boom. And I'm thinking just like the other guy, up. Oh, but it didn't go up. It went straight across. It's going right across the grass, and it hits a rock. That ball hits the rock, and it takes off. I really believe God just went like this, you know, and just <laughs> flicked that ball. Because that ball took off in the air. My son won the championship of the longest drive. I mean, that was, that was so cool. You know, and he's... You know, I mean, everybody, all these, you know, top kids, big kids are like, what? And my little kid, you know, he's all, looking, he's all looking at it, all excited and stuff. And so golf became a huge part of our world. Uh, I'm actually getting into my ninth year of coaching high school golf. And so, yeah, golf is a part of our family all the way around, and we love it because this is really cool. This is really cool. But the funny thing is that people look at me, and when I tell them that, yeah, I coach golf, they go, you don't look like you play golf. I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? I go, I, go, I go, what do I look like? And they wouldn't answer. And I go, like, an athlete? They go, no. I'm like, okay. You know? I go, what, what do I look like? And the guy goes, a bowler. You look like a bowler. I'm like, what do I mean I'm a bowler? You look like a bowler. And then another guy, no, 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 no. no. He looks like the Olympic dude, uh, the curler. You look like a curler. I go, shut up. I don't look like none of that. Well, golf has been big. It's really weird about this because, you see, we never got into golf, didn't know about golf, but this entire golf world opened up to us. 
I had no idea, no plan at all that this would be a part of my chart in life. And all these new people have come across my walk and God opens huge doors. Again, I say thank you because, you see, my son is doing well. He's in college now. My son is in college in New Hope Christian College. My daughter also, Gianna, is at New Hope Christian College. And we just launched out my youngest to Southwestern Satsagu University in Dallas. All four of my kids, my oldest has already graduated and uh, married, and we have a grandson, and all of my kids are gone. We're in a different world now. Literally, we're empty nesters, and it's kind of a different feeling when you know that the kids... Now, they're going to come back at Christmas. It's all going to change, I know. But in this moment, it feels weird to not have any kids around at the time. And we just last week took my daughter to Texas, and we, we were in this mode of like so busy coming back. There's so many things we had to do that I never had the time because people say, so how do you feel? Like looking at me like I'm going to start crying immediately. How do you feel that you're empty nesters? And so I'm like, I'm feeling great. You know, just busy. It's been going busy. I'm keeping myself busy and so on. We, Anna's working. We're all doing all kinds of things. Until last night. You see, last night we went and celebrated that 30 years ago last week, my wife and I met for the very first time in Bible college. And so we were in Bible college and uh, we came there and I saw her and she saw me and then, and then she liked me and no, I'm joking. You know, I just like totally like, whoa. And we started talking from that point. But 30 years, so last night we went with some friends and we celebrated, just had to dinner. We went to a movie. We went to the movies and we went to go see Christopher Robbins. How many have seen the Winnie the Pooh movie that's out? Okay, so you got to go see it. It's a great family movie. We went to go see it because I just loved Winnie the Pooh, and I thought, okay, let's go see that movie. I was great. I was strong. I was holding it together all the way until the movie. And sure enough, in the movie, and it's just, I'm like, hold it together, hold it together. You know, I'm wiping and I'm wiping. I'm like, oh, man, because it just reminded me so much of my kids when they were younger. So I had my moment. I lost it for a moment, but it was dark. Okay, and, and there were other sniffles, but we were okay. We made it through. You see, when my son was dealing with the cancer, though, when my son was dealing with it, there was another world that was open to us at the hospital, dealing with other parents that were dealing with the same thing at Primary Children. We were there so much with all the surgeries and everything, and we didn't have that as a plan. You see, cancer didn't run on either side of our family to expect something especially for one of our children. But this world opened up to us, and we could have been seclusive. We could have just did our own thing because we had a problem. But as we were sitting there, there were many times as we looked across and we saw other parents crying. And we saw, and I'm not just saying, well, you're a minister, that's in you, you're supposed to do that. No, but there was just something with inside that would want to reach out to them because there was something going on, that they were in need. It was another door again, dealing with strangers that we didn't know, but this door opened to us, and an opportunity to be able to just love on them and, and see who they are and see what we can do to be a part of their life in any way. Our whole ministry has been based around this. What can we do to reach out to those that are hurting, to those that are at risk, to those that are in need, to see how we could be a part of their life and let them know of the hope that we have with inside of us? I like to go, if we can, to Matthew 25, the verses here. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. 
I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Our ministry is based on five things and taking those verses, trying to help, how can we reach those that need nutrition, food and drink? How can we help those that need clothing? How can we help those that are uh, a stranger to us? It says, I was a stranger and you invited me in. The next one says, when I was sick, you took care of me. And paraphrase, when I was in trouble in prison, you were there for me. So our focus is to see, what can we do with pastors to see, how can we help you in one of these five areas? I'm not sure if you knew or not, but we have our mobile medical trucks in the back here. If you've seen the mobile medical and the dental, that's back here. And we just got an ambulance. And so we're trying to do what we can on the medical side. We help churches with clothing and with uh, food pantries. And we definitely help in the area of after-school programs, trying to keep kids out of trouble. But there's one area here I want to focus on, and that is when I was a stranger, you invited me. When I was, listen, it's not talking about the creeper at the door saying, let me in. It's talking about the person who's different from you. Someone that you normally wouldn't even consider at all, but because you have opened your heart and you've allowed God to flow through you, then you've been able to see that there's some potential here. There's ability here. I can do something. Let me help. And that stranger feels welcomed. But more than just welcomed, they could see in you that you love them so much that you went after them. You try to reach them. We understand there's that concept, you know, there's a thin line between love and hate, but yet those, con- those are two contrasting thoughts, love and hate. But there really is a thin line here. You remember the old song, the oldie, there's a thin line between love and hate? Am I the only old guy in here? You know, <laughs> Motown, okay. Listen, I want you to see my hand over here. Did God say for us to hate him? Let's say here. No. Okay, love is over here. Well, let's dissect this thin line. Here we go. We got hate. Do we hate him? No, we don't hate him. God didn't call us to hate people. Okay, let's go a little closer. Tolerate. Oh, I think I'm hitting home here. Some of you are like, yeah, I tolerate people all the time. At work, the neighborhood, whatever. My kid, you know, I tolerate them. But God didn't call us to tolerate people. Listen to the next one. Welcome. Well, welcome sounds good. Welcome sounds like a good thing. What are you talking about? Welcome is a good thing. Well, it is a good thing. The only problem with welcome is that it's a reactive thing. In other words, most people don't even know they're welcome until they show up at your front door and they see a sign on the floor that says welcome. They don't know that they're welcome until they come to you. And once they come to you, then you open your heart and you say, welcome. They don't know. So here we go. We got hate, tolerate, welcome. How about this next one? Invite. Are you saying invite is a bad thing? No, inviting is a good thing. But my friend, we usually only invite to events. We invite to a service. We invite to something that's been organized. Invite is usually something targeted that is going to last for a moment and then it's going to be over. And so we invite. But how many, let's be honest, how many really sometimes invite people you really don't want to invite? 
Do we have to invite them? Yeah, they're your family. You have to invite them. Ugh. We don't want to, but they have to invite them. Sometimes you get an invitation. It's not all that sincere. But, oh, well, oh, yeah, but they're, that's a crazy neighbor. Yeah, but if you don't invite them, the other neighbor, they're going to talk, and you got to invite them. But, but listen to this. Bible talks about here, we're not to hate them, tolerate them, go beyond welcoming, even beyond inviting. What does the word say? To compel them to come in. Compel is the word. It says go to the highways and byways and compel them to come in. Compelling is a proactive word, meaning we, when we walk out of this place, we go out to where they are and we compel them to come in. Not just say welcome, but we do all that we can to go to them, to reach out to them, to help them in where their circumstances were that. That is what true love is, to be proactive in our duty and our responsibility as a Christian. Not just to, well, if they come to me, they know they're always welcome. But we do nothing to be proactive about it. To go ye therefore to help. He says here, however you treat any of these, you know in every society there's a top and a bottom. There's what? White collar, blue collar, no collar, right? In the airplane, first class, business, coach, luggage. You know, I mean, wherever you can, animals, wherever you fit, that's where you go. I mean, we all break it down all the way down. And it says, whatever you are, Wherever you're at on the totem pole, from top to bottom, he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. How you treat them in your society that are least in your community, that's how you're treating me. What you do for them, you do for me. See, Jesus wants us to let them know that they are loved, that we love each other, and that love flows through us. Everybody say, through us. Okay, here we go. Say, the blessings of God. Come on, come on, wake up. The blessings of God, blessings of God are, meant are meant to go through me, through not, to me. not to me. Listen to what you just said. Listen to what you just prophesied over yourself. That God's blessing is to go through you. God will always take care of you while it's going through you. But God wants to use you, yes, starting in the small and be faithful to the small and he'll bless you with more. And you're going to see when you have a heart to reach out into the community, to reach out to that person who's different from you, to be that one. I mean, think about it. Food, nutrition, drink, that's important. That's life. Clothing, you need proper clothing in the sun, in the cold. That's life. Sickness, that's life. Being in trouble, helping someone to get out, that's life. But to accept someone who's different from you? The Lord categorized welcoming a stranger just as important as eating food. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be forgotten. Nobody wants to be left alone. But how are they going to know unless we go to them and let them know? I want to tell you a story here. It's a story that's found in 3 John. And the story itself, there's only one chapter, so we're going to read the whole chapter. Everybody said amen. Wow, only a few. Okay, here we go. We're going to read anyways. Here we go. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. 
It was for the sake of the name that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought to therefore show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and everyone and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. I want you to think. We just read through a whole chapter of the Bible in church. That was awesome right there. But I want you to really get to the depth of this story. He says, look, I want to thank you so much because you as a church have the reputation of receiving people that are not like you. You were receiving people that were strangers. Even we were strangers and you accepted us. You opened your heart to us. You opened your door to us. You made us feel welcome. But he says, but there's a character among you. And this guy, he's doing everything he can to shut that door. He kind of wants it us for no more. He doesn't want no change. He doesn't want nothing to happen. He doesn't want to see growth. He just wants to leave things as they are because in his world, in his mind, things are good right now. Let's not rock the boat. But John writes and he says, you're doing good. You see, when you follow God, you do good. But it says here, you, you know God. But when you choose not to follow God and do good, it says clearly that you don't even know God. For someone to be religious but yet have that horrible attitude about rejecting anybody to come in. The Bible is very clear. It says you've never met God. You don't really know him. Because if you knew him, you would understand that the blessings are not meant for you only. The blessing is to go through you. And as it goes through you, it's meant for all of those around you. Not just the us four no more, but beyond that. And what I love about this church is that throughout the years, this church has had the reputation of reaching out into the community. Why? Because of the community center that we have had through the years. And through the individual programs, the outreaches, the different means of programming for the kids and all the different things going on. But we're in the day we're in a day now that things are switching and changing. I'm not talking about doom and gloom. I'm talking about as we are knowing that things are changing, we know as Christians, as believers, that we can trust and go to God. But as the world also is seeing, there's something going on, and I don't understand it. Why is it that we're going through the same thing, but you have peace? Tell me about that peace. Why is it that it seems like everyone's falling apart, but you're not falling apart? What is that? You see, the world is going to want to know of the hope that you have within you. Because as times are changing, things are getting a little tougher. We're going to find ourselves at that place where there's, the Bible talks about a great influx. There's going to be many, many, many people that are going to come to know the Lord. Why? Because they see the hope of God within each one of you. They see God moving in you. Now, I entitled this message, The Lord of Hosts. You see, 231 times is that phrase used, The Lord of Hosts. The Lord of Hosts is referring to God as the leader of the army of angels. But it goes beyond that. It's not just referring to the commander of an army, 
but the commander overall. And to be a host, many of you have hosted in your home before. You know how to be a good host. What do you first do when people come in? You want to make sure they're taken care of. You want to ask them, would you like something to drink? You want to make sure, have you eaten yet? Are you temperature-wise? Are you okay? Would you like this? You see, that's a good host to really care for the people. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to be served. I came to serve. Yes, he is the Lord of hosts. He shows each one of us what it means to be a host, to have the idea of hospitality. I pray, and I know it's going to happen, my friend, that the reputation of this church is going to continue, is going to be, that is the church of hospitality. That is the church that welcomes everybody that's coming in. That is the church that is doing everything it can to reach out to those that are hurting and to doing what they can. I've only got a few minutes here. I want to see if you can understand this. You see, my grandfather, when he was 16 years old, he left Leon, Guanajuato, Mexico. Prior to him leaving, he had come to the United States as a migrant worker. You see, migrant workers are ones that are seasonal workers, and they go from place to place, and where the crops are, they go, they work, and they go to the next place, and he had the permits to come as a family. They came, they went back home. But when he was 16, he decided to come, and he came. My great-grandmother asked or told him, look, if you're going to go, make sure you look for compa. Everybody say compa. Compa is an endearing term, a short nickname for compañero. Compañero means my companion. So the idea is that to look for compa, and you may have been around people speaking Spanish at one way or another, and they'll refer to each other, oye, compa. And compa, again, just means my companion, my, my friend. And he's, my great-grandmother said, look for people that are compa. And so he works his way up, and he found compa, and they took care of him. They culturally just had that within them, to take care of your own. He gets to Southern California. And there wasn't many people using the term compa, but in that world, we're talking the 30s and 40s, in that term, they were using a term carnal. Everybody say carnal. Have you, some of you probably heard that term, right? You know, they had a lot of the little, you know, mocosos, you know, little kids, are, hey, carnal, you know, they use that term. Carnal means you're, you're part of me, flesh, bone, you know, you're carnal is what it refers to, that you're part of me. And that word is, again, is that an enduring term to reach out to those. It's a different name, but same spirit. You know, the idea of taking care of the people. So he found those people there. As he shot over to southern Arizona area, near Nogales, the gente, they were called mi gente. Everybody say mi gente. Mi gente. That was what the people then referred to each other as mi gente. Who are these people? They're my gente. My gente means my family, my people. As he moved up north and started going up New Mexico, and he hit that in southern New Mexico, northern Col uh, southern Colorado area, they weren't mi gente, and they weren't carnal, and they weren't compas. They were people referred to as manito. Everybody say manito. Manito were a beautiful group of people that literally took care. How many have heard that term manito before? Okay, a number of you. You've heard that term because this is people from that San Luis Valley and that northern New Mexico, and they were great people that took care and my grandfather shot right through there, and he met the Manito people. You see, this is where my, my in-laws and my family come from through my wife's side. And I remember when I went to go meet my wife's grandfather for the first time, Grandpa Mike. And he, my wife says, well, then we weren't married. My wife says, Grandpa Mike wants to meet you. And he was outside sitting. We had a, a cap on, and he's whittling. And he's out there. Grandpa Mike wants to talk to you. And I, oh, yeah, okay. And so I go out there. I felt like I was talking to the Godfather, you know what I mean? Because he was just, he was right there, you know, great man, strong man.
but he was there and he says to me and he goes, we are Manito people. You see, I remember that name because my grandpa told me of the Manito people and he referred to that. Well, when he shot up north through Utah, Idaho, shot up to Washington and the mountain areas up in the north, everyone referred to each other as primo. Everybody say primo. Primo, that means cousin. And he referred to it. And again, same spirit, different name, just the idea of welcoming and helping each other. After he fought in the war, earned his citizenship, he, uh, World War II, he settled in the Bay Area. And there, there was a little mix of everybody, but the people of that area were referred to as Paisano. Everybody say Paisano. The Italian, the Portuguese, the Filipino, and the Hispanic all referred to each other as Paisano. And the Paisano people were the same spirit, same culture, helping each other out. There was an old black and white movie, actor Anthony Quinn, real name Anthony Quintana, but Anthony Quinn made a movie about fishermen in Monterey, and it was called The Paisanos. Not too long ago, I ate at a pizza place in Reno called the Paisanos. I grew up a Paisano. My wife grew up Manito. My kids asked one time, so what are we? I go, Paisano, man. you're Panito. And they go, what does that mean? Little loaf of bread. And they go, oh, I don't want to be called little loaf of bread. <laughs> it never failed that every weekend I would go stay with my grandpa and there would be someone laying on the couch. I go, Who, who's that? I'm a little kid. Who's that? Oh, that's a, that's a Paisano or that's a a gente, or that's a carnal, or that's a, you know, he went on and on. Just he opened, because so many people were welcoming to him that his door was always open. My house growing up, same with my mom, and I know that for a fact with my wife and I, our house, and we've had so many people stay over. My friend, I'm going to end with this. How much more that we, who have the love of God within us, that know the truth, that understand what hope is, that go beyond a culture and go into a lifestyle of being a great host, great being hospitable to not just those that are at the door, not just those that are welcoming and visiting, but literally everywhere you go, every moment you breathe, you are hosting, you are helping, you are serving, you are doing everything you can to reach out to those around you. When people see that you're willing to open your arms to them, this is what he's talking about. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was a stranger, you invited me. Even when I was a stranger, you came after me. I really believe God wants to do great things. I'm excited for the future of the church here. We got a new pastor coming. Vision is just exploding. God is just going to do some great things. But it takes each one of us. Remember, the Lord of the host of the angels, the army of angels. Can I just say right now, I'm looking at those angels right here. Each one of you will be one that's going to go and reach out. The Lord is the Lord of hosts in your life. That he is the Lord in showing you and guiding you. As he has blessed you, be that blessing to everyone around you. Be that blessing. It's hard, Pastor. I know it is. I know when you're hurting and you're thinking of your own. I know when it seems like impossible and you can't do any more. But God opens another door for you and a whole new group of people that you never thought. I never thought I'd be around golfers <laughs> at all. I never thought I would be dealing with cancer people, victims, and so on. And there's so many other doors I could tell you about, but you've got your own doors that you could tell me about. And one day I'd love to hear those. Would you stand with me, please? As we're challenged 
to take on this new season, as we're challenged to do all that we can, we understand the signs of the times. We know things are getting crazy all around the world. We just saw a video of just something totally far away from here, but yet there are needs here as well, and we all know that. Yes, we do have refugees. We do have our own American poor. We do have immigrants. We have people. But I'm not just talking about poverty. Someone that needs food. I'm just talking about you being willing at your workplace or at school or maybe among your own family to reach out when you probably haven't in a long time to let them know, I care about you. I just want to reach out to you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.